Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Welcome back. January 27th. I'm Kyle Seeloff. With us tonight is the voice of the Marlins on Bally Sports Florida, Paul Severino, and this is Around the Horn. Week four of our show on Fox Sports, 940 AM Miami. Good show tonight. I'll have your starting lineup brought to you by Nudge in just a moment, but Sevy, it's good to see you, buddy. What's going on? Hey, man. It's uh, it's great to be back with you a little bit. This is I, I always look forward to these sorts of things when we get together for these off-season shows because it means that uh, spring training is close and games are close and the season's close. And, well, um, my fingers are crossed that, that, that that's the case here in 2022 as well. <laughs> Hopefully spring training is Hopefully. right around the corner. Hopefully. We've got some time, you and I, to hash out our differences and get the millions that we're in search of, and uh, we'll get this all sorted out. Uh, daddy <laughs> duty, how's off-season daddy duty going? Everybody's good? Family's good? Everybody's good, yeah. We've got a little bit of a circus here at the house. Um, we we have a new puppy. Enzo Severino <laughs> is in is in house, so we have a, uh, well, he's what now, 14-week-old Boston Terrier puppy, and um Next week, he uh, will actually go into the circus, the three ring circus as a tiger. He's uh, he's a bit he's a bit of a tornado, but we started some training. <laughs> he's uh, he's a he's a big biter. Uh, my hands look like I got in a fight and lost with a paper shredder, but we're all good. He's uh, fortunately he's cute. So I think he'll I think he'll be around for a little while. But um, but everything's good. We're all adjusting to that. Nobody's getting any sleep. It's like having a newborn. And I can say that as someone who's had a newborn before, not like one of those pet owners who's like, oh, my God, this is just like having a kid. <laughs> right. but I've never had a kid. No, no, no. I, I can make the comparison. But uh, but it's all good. It's all good. Extra family time is always nice. So it sounds like everything's in order at the Severino household. Uh, have you knocked a few strokes off your golf game? No, I've added some actually. Um, you and I played, and that was about three, two or three rounds after the greatest nine-hole stretch of my life. Got so it out of rainstorm. Story, oh my goodness gracious! It was like Carnoustie out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, it was amazing. Like two or three times before we played, I, I, I hadn't played in a while. You know, COVID season, the whole thing, and uh, hadn't played in a while, and and hit the range on Monday that week. That was a disaster, as you'd expect. And then I played uh, with a neighbor on Friday and hit a medium bucket of balls before we started. Again, a bit of a disaster. So I was nervous. I'd never played with my neighbor before. Um, and then the front nine was was uh, horrific, as I call it. It was a 51. It was brutal. 
And then I, I, I jarred a, maybe a 10 foot putt on nine. And I said to myself, okay, well, here we go. Um, <laughs> we'll reset the score. <laughs> and I did that. And then I ended up shooting two over par on the back nine. It was the greatest nine hole stretch of my life. I think I went uh, par bogey, bogey, uh, one over. I was one over. I'm sorry. Cause I went par bogey, bogey. And then I had mixed in a birdie somewhere in there and I finished one over. It was it's fantastic. And it's been all downhill since, Kyle. But way downhill. Like, steep downhill. Yeah, but like I tell you, just hit enough good ones to keep you coming back. And it sounds like uh, that's exactly what you did. So uh, I got some broad baseball questions for you in a second, Sefi. But uh, time now for tonight's starting lineup and around the horn presented by Nudge. They're the official coffee snack of the Miami Marlins in Lone Depot Park. Do the undoable. Two more interviews tonight. My conversation with Marlins outfield prospect, second generation Miami Marlin, Griffin Conine. Kevin up in just a couple of minutes and to sit down with Miami's director of player development, Jeff DeGroat. And as always, we'll wrap everything up with another fun edition of Three Strikes and You're Out. Uh, Sevy, very broad for you. We just got a couple of minutes here on the front end and the back end. Uh, Marlins this offseason, they have seemingly shored up the outfield a little bit. Utility man on the infield. They're confident with what they've done behind the plate. Uh, real quick, give me your 30 to 60 second synopsis on the Marlins offseason today being rather broad. Uh, I, you know what? I think that they, they, they saw needs and they addressed some of those needs. Obviously, power uh, among outfielders was something, and they did that. Um, you know, the, the, the headliner of their staff, their pitching staff last year, put together an unbelievable season. And, uh, you know, I think that there were probably a lot of, a lot of those, uh, those off-the-record conversations among broadcasters as we get ready for a series here or there throughout the year, and you're like, man, uh, you'd love to see this guy get a long-term deal yesterday. Um, and they were able to get that done, too. So that solidifies the starting rotation, obviously. Um, and, and hopefully, I think maybe on a, on a different level, it also continues to prove what the organization, what you and I already know, um, but prove to the fans that the, the commitment is there to make this thing happen and, and keep um, a, a core, a group, a nucleus together. So, uh, you know, obviously that starts with the ace of the staff. Um, and then, you know, listen, we've talked about it for two or three years now, the importance of, of the starting rotation kind of being um, the, the strength of this, this organization on the whole, but also once these guys start to get to the big leagues, the, the, those starting five or six guys or seven that you use over the course of the season – the importance of that translates immensely to what you do behind the plate. So they were, you know, able to get together with Pittsburgh on a deal that, um, you know, I think that uh, a lot of people saw coming or hoped would come from from the Marlins' perspective, and it did. Um, tremendous defender, great leader, uh, all of that kind of stuff. So I think that 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 was obviously huge. And then to add a utility guy in, in the infield or maybe a little outfield as well from yeah. Tampa. So listen, I, I think that. Um, what they did before the lockout was great, and and I, and I don't have any inside information to know exactly what they'll do or want to do post-lockout, but um, certainly a good start, and uh, and it, it leaves a few fewer holes to fill once the lockout is over. And I think what's intriguing, and I think you and I had both sat with Marlins GM Kim Ang, that I think they're happy with what they've done. I don't think they're satisfied. I think in the last couple of days, I peruse what's going on online, and the Marlins have interest in some particular guys. Now, look, some of these guys are teams, you know, 30 teams are probably interested in some of these guys, but, you know, it'll be intriguing when this thing is over and we get some type of spring training here. Um what the roster looks like then compared to now, right? I mean, who knows what they decide to no, do? 
Absolutely. And I'd be curious, too, and and partly from a Marlins perspective, of course, but also generally speaking, you know, in that last week before what we what we thought was going to be and obviously was the impending lockout, there was a flurry of moves. And we'd all like this lockout to be done tomorrow and over with and move on with our lives and get ready for the season and everything else. But too many T's have to be crossed and I's need to be dotted that we're probably getting close to a, a little bit of a hairy situation where the start date for springs coming up and everything else. We might have another one of those fun weeks too, you know, like let's yeah, just yeah. say they work this thing out and then it's like, Hey, spring training, you know, it's going to start now, or it's got a bump, bump, bump back, whatever the case is. But once we kind of get that green light, I'd be curious to see if we have kind of that, that same flurry round two of teams making trades. There's still some free agents out there. I think that there's going to be a lot of movement with, um, with the clock ticking, for a different reason, not so much the impending lockout, but the start of a season. So I, I'm I'm looking forward to that. You have to imagine that um, that teams are still getting together in some form or fashion, and at least having some private conversations of, hey, on uh, you know a Wednesday, whatever the day is when this thing ends. Well, Wednesday afternoon, let's start making moves. Let's yeah, start, let's start making this happen. And when this thing ends, there's going to be a lot of money thrown around in the hurry because, to your point, there are not just journeymen out there looking for jobs. Like there are some legitimate big leaguers, and a right. lot of them that are worth millions of dollars on multi-year deals that are going to go somewhere and get. You know, they're going to have heavy pockets when this thing locks up and uh, gets. Uh, all, all resolved. So, uh, Sevy, hang tight. I know you'll be back with us shortly. When we return, my conversation with Marlins outfield prospect Griffin Conine. You're listening to Around the Horn on your home for Marlins baseball, Fox Sports 940 AM Miami and the iHeartRadio app. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Around the Horn on Fox Sports 940 AM Miami and the iHeartRadio app. Good to be back with you tonight. I'm Kyle Seeloff, and I'm joined this evening by the voice of the Marlins on Valley Sports Florida. Paul Severino, let's kick it over now to my full and extended conversation with Marlins outfield prospect. Here is Griffin Conine. Griffin Conine, Mr. Marlin. Can you <laughs> tell your dad that? Are you the new Mr. Marlin? No, no, that's, <laughs> that's all him. I'm, uh, I'm separate, you know, hearing that. You like it that way, though? Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, he kind of paved his own path and uh, what he did for the, this organization, you know, way back, way back when. Um, you know, he he got that name himself, and you know, I'm not. I'm gonna try to earn it myself, hopefully. But uh, at the same time, you know, haven't definitely haven't done that yet. Second round selection. Actually, you go back a long time ago. You were drafted by the Marlins, mm-hmm. but you go to Duke. You have a great career. You get drafted in the second round, and then all of a sudden things get turned over, and you get a call at some point that you're one of the newest Miami Marlins. Surreal, scared excited what were those emotions like uh yeah all the above all the above all at once um i I found out on twitter you know i was just kind of scrolling randomly it was one afternoon uh of course one afternoon and um i saw craig mish you know does fine work and he uh, (laughs) he he was the first one to uh to break the news and that's kind of how i saw it and i thought like it was 
I thought it was a ploy at first or like a joke or something. Uh, and then like I started to look into it more. You know, I knew that Villar, I know that we had traded Villar um, and it hadn't been named who we, who we got back for him or who he gave up rather. Uh, and then sure enough, got a call like five minutes later from the, the Blue Jays guys and they were like, you know, they told me the DLAO. And then I, uh, you know, told, the, uh, told dad and mom and, you know, he was obviously couldn't be happier. Um, and I think he was more, I wasn't super happy at that point, just there was too much going on to, to uh, be excited as he was. And then, you know, obviously once I got to Instructs and, you know, put the uniform on and got to be at the spring training facility that I spent so many, so many years as a kid um, running around, uh, it was a lot. It kind of became real for me and it was a lot. A lot better. What was the first memory that you have? I mean, at what do you remember? How old were you when you were first like you first remember being with dad in a big league clubhouse in Jupiter? Um, yeah, I remember definitely, uh, definitely Joe Robbie Stadium, pro player, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, back when they used to play at the Dolphins Park, um, spent a lot of spent a lot of time uh, out there in the outfield, running around and um, getting in big leaguers' ways, and you know. <laughs> Dan Ugla and Hanley Ramirez back when that young core was uh, was just coming up. It was really cool to to be a part of that, and you know those guys uh, always were super inclusive and you know liked having me around. So um, those are kind of like the, the earliest memories I have, you know, uh, of uh, the Marlins. Everybody in South Florida obviously knows your dad, and I would imagine whether you admit it or not, you know, you want to pave your own path, right? You're Griffin Conine. You're not Jeff Conine. You're not Mr. Marlin. You're a young kid in the Marlin system looking to make a name for yourself. Where's that drive in there that I love my dad, I love my family. If it wasn't for him, I might not be here. But it's time for me to make my own mark and legacy. Yeah, I mean, I've always, uh, I've always, you know, been doing this for me. You know, it was never, it was never for anyone else. You know, and it's never. Uh, I know a lot of times, you know, when you have a parent that that was an athlete and you get into that same sport they can take over and they can, you know, make it so it's about them and, and it's what they want. Um, but, you know, my, my dad was never like that. He was, you know, super laid back and right. I wasn't really even that uh, invested in baseball until probably high school, um, which is looking back on it. And now that I'm older and I try to put myself in his shoes, uh, I feel like I'd be going crazy if my kid was, you know, getting to be the time where you want to be getting into baseball. And, and I was kind of just like, you know, whatever, I played it for fun rather than, uh, seeing a future in it and he never you know really seemed to to push it on me or anything like that and I think that's why you know still today that I, I still love it as much as I did whereas a lot of times kids get burned out because um, their parents you know kind of make it not fun for them right. um, so it, it was always fun for me and um, at the same time like that's uh, that's kind of why you know I've always wanted to make it on my own you know not in someone else's shadow or or uh, you know getting drafted based off his name, right. you know, which I felt like kind of in high school, uh, that was definitely, you know, a major factor as, as to why I was drafted. I didn't think I was ready at the time um, to be into professional baseball. Um, so yeah, just uh, definitely want to earn it in my own right and um, try to do that every day. Why'd you become invested? I mean, you weren't obviously for a long time. Baseball was fun. You were around it your whole life. But do you remember why you decided to invest your life into it in high school, I guess. Yeah, I think uh, I think just I, I was I was pretty undersized in middle school, um, and then once I really kind of grew into my body in uh, like ninth, tenth grade, and started to 
started to hit homers and started to have a lot more fun with it. And honestly, just became a lot better just by just by growing up a little bit. And then um, that those kind of two or three years in the beginning of high school, that was when I really like, you know, we had a really good high school team. Um, we had a really close team. So I got to feel what it was like to, you know, have a whole team behind you and, and uh, play for other guys. And that was kind of when I really, you know, fell in love with it and was like, you know, felt like I was good enough to pursue it, you know, at the college level and, and hopefully eventually at the professional level. So I would say people that don't really know your backstory, you get drafted out of high school, you elect to go to Duke. Could have gone better the first two years and then things really clicked. But what was it that clicked? Because the power starts to come around. You had the terrific summer away from school. Where did it all change, Griffin? Because as we sit here now, you were second in all of minor league baseball, bashing baseballs this summer. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that that summer you mentioned that was for me. That was when it changed. I, you know, I went into college. Uh, obviously, at a high school, you know, the competition jump is huge um, in the ACC, and I was overmatched. You know, I was overmatched, and I uh, didn't adjust as well as I, you know, could have to to better pitching and, you know, facing these guys that could now throw, you know, three or four pitches for strikes. Um, and I was just overwhelmed, I think, mentally, mentally kind of gave in a little bit. And then summer ball was great because you get away from the, you know, all the eyes on you, all the coaching staff, all the pressure. Um, and then, you know, it, it's back to just kind of playing a backyard game of baseball where it's, you know, you still have stats and whatnot, but uh, there's so many different summer leagues that in your head you kind of feel like, no one's watching me. Like, I can right. do whatever happens here, and it'll be fine. Um, and I started pretty bad that summer, too, actually. But then um, that was kind of just when I figured out what worked for me, um, how to, like, approach it, what pitches, you know, I was going to do damage on, and what pitches, I, you know, I can never let go. Uh, and then, yeah, that was kind of when I found my power stroke, you know, the swing that uh, – not a lot has changed since then <laughs> to today when I go back and watch video because I still have video from that summer. Um, and that was a lot of fun. And that was kind of what changed once I realized, like, you know, I'm playing college players here in this right. league and good pitchers and having success. And, you know, I, I just kind of took that confidence into, into my sophomore year. And then, and then it kind of just uh, multiplied. You develop a little confidence, but you said it was, so at one point you're young, you're overmatched, it's stressful, you're not doing well. And that's a recipe for a lot of guys, whether in college or the professional game, that could be a recipe for disaster. Things could get out of control yeah. and you're working a nine to five real quick because you just can't handle it. What did you do? What conversation did you have with yourself or somebody else that I guess at some point just allowed you to relax? Like this is either going to go well or it isn't, but I'm going to enjoy the hell out of this moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, definitely, uh, you know, my dad had a big role in that. I think going into, going into summer ball after that freshman year, um, obviously didn't go the way I wanted it to or, you know, anyone thought it would. Um, but at the same time, you know, he was kind of just like, take a step back. Like, it's your freshman year. You know, you're just getting into this now. You know, you have, you have so much time to, uh, to improve and get better and before you really have to, really have to do it. And, and when I look back on it, um, I really didn't have that much time because if you think about it, like right. your sophomore year leads right into being able to go play in the Cape. Um, so you need to have a good sophomore year so you can play in the Cape because that's kind of, uh, you know, that's how you get on the track to be drafted at a high level. 
um, and then you have to play well in the Cape, and then you have to have a good junior year. So like, looking back, you didn't have much time yeah, to turn this whole thing around. Exactly, but luckily at the time I didn't know that, so I was like, oh yeah, you're right. You know, I have so much time, <laughs> and, and this like this gift of time kind of freed up my mind, and I was like, um, you know, I had so much freedom as to what I wanted to work on and practice and, and summer ball, and what I wanted to what did I wanted to try to do with my swing and my approach and um, all the coaches I, th I have to thank too because they were you know we had coaching in summer ball can be hit or miss but uh, we had a really good group of guys there um, in lacrosse Wisconsin <laughs> um, and they helped me a lot summer ball you get drafted you have a great career at Duke Blue Jays traded Miami fast forward to 2021 and you're crushing the baseball in Beloit and you get a promotion to Pensacola, and you're just smashing home runs. Second in all of minor league baseball. You hit how many? 36, I think. Yeah, yeah you hit 36. And um, how much confidence did that give you to do that in professional baseball? Yeah, I think that was, um, you know, that was definitely the one thing this year that I felt like was never going to go away. Like I was always, you know, I had, you know, tons of ups and downs, tons right. of slumps. Uh, right. Um, but at the same time, you know, it was at the beginning of the year, um, the way it was split up this year, it's kind of like you have six games, then a day off, six games, day off. So it's like you divide it up into weeks because you're playing one team. So it's 20 weeks is the whole season. Right. Um, so I was kind of in my head, I was like, well, if you hit two homers a week, that'd be 40. So I was like, that's kind of an easy and easy way to think about it. And just, I liked the schedule a lot because of that, because you kind of just take it week by week. It was right. really easy to, instead of like, you know, you normally you'd have like maybe 17 or 18 games in a row and then you get an off day. Um, so I think uh, that definitely played like a big role in just having the confidence. Um, and at the same time, you know, being able to repeat it every week was key as well. And just keeping, I think the body, like keeping my body, healthy for one and also mm -hmm. like staying in the weight room which i felt like you know i hadn't really really um really nailed down in season as far as um standing on top of your stuff yeah. and stand on top of your your eating and everything so i think that all kind of played a role this is a little nitty-gritty but i guess in today's day and age in baseball it's predicated on a ton of power you look at your season this year hit 218 220 but you smash home runs but that's what the game is today, Griffin, right? Like, ha have you settled on the fact that you're going to have to sacrifice average if you want to continue to hit a ton of home runs? Or are you working towards hitting for more average, hitting more home runs? But th because that's, that's an interesting dynamic. You often hear guys saying, I'm willing to sacrifice some average if it means I'm going to get to the show because of what I'm capable of doing in hitting home runs and getting instant offense. Where, where do you kind of sit with all that now? Um, yeah, I sit with, you know, I think when I look back at this year, um, I, you know, I didn't think it went too great, to be honest. You really? Know, I, for me, yeah, I just, uh, I did one thing well, which was, which was hit home runs. And right. I think there's so many things you can do well, as even from a hitting, you know, defensively, I thought, you know, I thought I had a pretty solid year as well. But I think even from a hitting standpoint, there's so many different things you can do well as a hitter. Hmm. And I felt like I did one thing really well when I could, you know, I think I could, I think I could, you know, hit for average. I think I could do a lot of things. And I think um, there's definitely a lot of reasons why I didn't this year. 
and I think I, I let it speed up on me a bit. And uh, but if you know why, that's good. If you know why, that's well, yeah, that's the the, the COVID off season where you we didn't have the season in 2020. Right. It was tough because I didn't really know what I needed to work on. Like I didn't know what to prepare for for this next year. Um, and this off season, I feel like I know exactly what I need to work on. Just to become multi-dimensional. Off, to become, I, I know where the holes were offensively. I know where the holes were with my swing, with my approach. Um, and there were there were a lot of them, in my opinion. Um, which is uh, that's the fo- that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here right now. That's why I'm at this camp um, with with mostly younger guys that are recently drafted. Right. But, you know, I've I have tons of work to do, just like they do. And I know exactly, you know, exactly where my attention needs to fall in order to you know turn the corner next year that's got to be a good feeling within reason you could hit nearly 40 home runs and come home be like great year 40 homers got a promotion but if you're not satisfied and not only you're not satisfied now you know what needs to change that's got to make you some eager to get back out there in three or four months and work on those adjustments yeah absolutely that's why i mean i think you know i think this year it didn't go the way I wanted it to by any means, but at the same time, I learned I learned more than I ever have you know, from a single season of baseball. Right. Um, so that's that's huge for me. And uh, like you said, that does give me confidence because I know I know what I need to work on, and then I can have so much more confidence having known I, that I did work on it, which I will um, going into spring training next year, um, which is you know I'm already excited for. You've, uh, you've spent your life in baseball. You were in a Marlins clubhouse when you were really, really young. Um, all these years later, you're back wearing this uniform. And as a Miami Marlin looking to kind of make your own path, um, but Griffin, what would it mean to you in the coming years, next year, who knows, eight months from now, if you dig in from the left side at Lone Depot Park and you, Griffin Conine, or a Miami Marlin, what would that mean to you? And how often <laughs> do you think about it? I think about it more... I think being here for this camp, because I really hadn't, I hadn't been to the park um, almost since, you know, maybe freshman year of college I went. Yeah. Um, so it had been a few years. So I think coming back now and like being where I'm at now in my career and knowing that, you know, coming from double A, you know, only a couple levels away. Can you feel I, it a little? Is it more tangible now? I would say, I would say like I thought about it more because I never used to think about the debut or making it. You know, I was always, there's so many levels of the minor leagues that you get swept up in it and you think like that's so far in the distance, but now it feels closer and um, being here and hitting BP on the field and, and what that feels like, uh, you can't help but not kind of picture what it would feel like and what it would be like. And um, I get chills kind of when I think about it and I think, uh, you know, that would be really special. So hopefully, you know, we can make that happen sooner rather than later. Sooner rather than later. Thank you, Griffin. Thank you. All right, thanks again to Griffin for joining us. And by all accounts, I mean, a guy that certainly got a chance to make it to the big leagues in the not-too-distant future. Don't miss sweet savings on hot matchups. With the opening day Miami Marlins bundle, you can score tickets to five games, including opening day, plus a legacy-themed Cafecito Cup set. They've still got some available. They were a hit around the holidays. You can still get the Cafecito Cup set right now. You can save over 30% on select legacy Saturday matchups against National League East rivals as the Marlins take the field in their legacy uniforms. If you want more information, I would encourage you to do so. This is a really great offer. Just visit Marlins. Marlins.com slash bundle. Again, that is Marlins.com slash bundle. More around the horn right after this on Fox Sports 940 Miami and the iHeartRadio app. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Around the Horn on Fox Sports 940 Miami and the iHeartRadio app with you every Thursday through the month of February. I'm Kyle Seeloff. Paul Severino rejoins us shortly because it's time now for my conversation. A fun one, too. Really enjoyed this with Miami's Director of Player Development, Jeff DeGroat. With us now is Miami's Director of Player Development, Jeff DeGroat. Jeff, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Kyle. Uh, Jeff, you're entering year five with the organization. And let us, by the way, congratulate you on your recent announced promotion as the Director of Player Development. But before I dive in here too far, your roles and responsibilities as the Director of Player Development are what? Yeah, so thank you for the for the congratulations. I, you know, I, you said year five. It's hard for me to believe that it's year five here. It's it's gone by incredibly fast. Um, you know, basically, my my role here is to kind of oversee the development of all of our players in the minor leagues from from AAA down to the Dominican Republic. Um, I I do that with a great staff that we have here, an incredible group of coordinators and coaches that. Um, just do a great job handling our players and identifying individual objectives for them to get better and get to the major leagues. So, um, you know, I, I rely heavily on them and I couldn't do my job without, you know, guys like Patrick Osborne, Scott Aldred, Tom Slater, uh, Tommy Phelps, uh, Jody Reed. We have a, an outstanding, Jeff Livesey, just an outstanding group of guys with incredible knowledge and experience and attention to detail who are tireless workers um, that helped me do my job. So in, in a nutshell, I, um, and then, you know, on the other side of the operation, you have Hector Crespo, Danny Henriquez, some of our other front office members that really oversee, um, some of the logistics and other things that go into this entire operation. So just have a, a great staff. Um, and basically we all work hard and work together to make our whole minor league operation run and develop players and, and, uh, turn them into major league talent. When you say make the entire operation run and oversee the development of what are truly hundreds of young, talented players, and this is just one major league organization, what's the most stressful part of your job? Man, um, <laughs> you know, I'll, say, I'll say this, that there, there's no two days that are the same. You know, it's like you, you just never know what you're going to get. We have a, a very large staff. You know, you have four teams here in the United States, four full season teams, Jacksonville, Pensacola, Beloit, Jupiter. We have our FCL team, which is, you know, we probably have up to 70 players here in Jupiter between, you know, from extended spring training into the FCL. Then you have the DSL. We have two DSL teams now this year. It'll be our first year doing that. So there's a, you know, two 35 man rosters down there with all those players and all those staffs that are serving those players. Um, you know, a lot of things come up. You know, and and basically what I, the way I look at it is I, I work for everybody here. You know, they don't work for me. I work for them. And whatever I can do to help our staff do their jobs better and serve our players better, I'm going to do. And you just never know what that's going to be. You know, it's like it, you don't really get into a, a much of a routine because no two days are the same. And, you know, the same for the players. Whatever our players need, I'm I'm here to try and help provide that for them. So um, I guess would just be the volatility of the job. Right. You just don't know what you're going to get. 
Jeff, what challenges presented themselves last season when you weren't fielding as many teams in the system anymore? Yeah, you know, I, I think the the biggest challenge, I would say, beyond just our, our guys not having a, a year of baseball in 2020, you know, like a, a whole year off for every every single player is, is a lot. But I think that presented some challenges. Some guys got off to some slower starts, uh, which is to be expected and is understandable. But in terms of the elimination of, of our, our Penn League team in Batavia, you know, we, we had to push some guys. You know, I think if you look at our, our players that we have, we have a lot of young um, middle of the infield, middle infielders, right? And so they were kind of log jammed at the same level at the FCL level. Guys like Jose Salas, Ian Lewis, Christian Rodriguez, uh, Anquides Santos, and then, you know, Nas Nunez, all those guys. Right. And then you, you go look at the draft. We we add Khalil Watson, Jordan McCants, Cody Morissette, right? So now you have only two teams for all of these players that have, we look at as as prospects. Um, you know, that's where that that New York Penn League team came in handy, right? You can send some guys there that that can get everyday regular at bats. So we had to get creative with our playing matrices, and I think that. You know, one thing that we did was it, it actually ended up being a good thing that some guys had to play some different positions. You know, guys who had only been shortstops in years past started to get to play some second base and third base, you know. And if you look at, you know, Major League Baseball, the, the more versatile you are, the more athletic you are, the more value you have. And especially with shifting and everything that's going on, you need to be able to play in different areas of the field. So, you know, I think it, it, it became a challenge. Uh, it was a challenge in the beginning, but I think we we – did a nice job pivoting and finding a way to make sure that our guys were getting regular at bats um, at a level that they were prepared to compete at. Can you distinguish for me the difference between major league managers and minor league managers? Because, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, when I view a major league baseball manager, their goal is to put 26 guys in the best position to win. All they care about truly is winning at the big league level that night and chasing a world championship. But in the minor leagues, to me, I've always thought, you know, you're, you're dealing with personalities, you're dealing with prospects, you're you're handling guys that have the ability to take the next step in their career. What differentiates a, a minor league manager from a major league manager based off of, I guess, what I'm asking would be roles and responsibilities. Yeah, you know, I'd say there is a lot of similarities, but there are some distinct differences. You know, we, we actually had this conversation yesterday in terms of the similarities, like you still have to manage your clubhouse. You know, right. you still have a, an entire staff that's looking, you know, pitching coach, hitting coach, defensive coaches, uh, trainers, strength coaches. They're all looking to you to lead them, you know, and set the culture in the clubhouse and the direction of the team. All that stuff is still in place in the minor leagues and the same. All the players look to you, too. Right. Are you going to hold players accountable to our standards? All of those things, I would say, are, are similarities between a major league and minor league manager. You're leading the clubhouse. Right. You're setting the culture of the clubhouse. So the differences to me are kind of some of the things that you alluded to, maybe some in-game decisions and, you know, handling a bullpen a certain way or whatever, you know, handling starters a certain way. Right. Like in, in the minor leagues, we are never going to sacrifice a player's development for the sake of winning games. Right. Like we, we want to win. And I think the, the better we develop our players and the more uh, skillful they are, the better players they are, we're naturally going to win more games. But at the end of the day, like it's our job to develop players so they can help us win at the major league level. That's it. Right. Right. We're trying to we're trying to help our guys reach their ceilings and 
you know, some of the decisions we make in terms of constructing lineups or bullpen pitching usage, um, in-game decisions, it's all geared towards developing players. Um, and again, the better we develop players, the better players we're going to have, the more we're going to win in the minor leagues ultimately. But, you know, if I sit here and ask you, you know, who won the 2017, you know, PCL championship, you probably couldn't tell me, sure, right? Like, but you could tell me who won the world series in 2017. Right. So it's, it's our goal to develop players so we can help, we can win championships at the major league level. The Miami Marlins director of player development, Jeff DeGroat joining us on around the horn. Where's the fine line between winning and developing? Because you could have six top 10 prospects in AAA. The team could win 60 games. But is there a part of this? And I feel like you've talked about this before, or maybe Gary has. You still want to breed a culture of winning because guys are going to know what it's like to win when you get to the big leagues. Where is, where is that line between we had a great year in AAA, but we didn't win enough, and we had a great year in AAA, and it ultimately resulted in these guys knowing what it feels like to win. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, like the players playing the game, they're they're playing the game to win. Right. You know what I mean? When they're on the field, they're they're playing to win. You know, I when I pitched, although it was for a brief time, there was never a a, a hitter I faced that I wasn't trying to get out. You know, or there was never a time I, I stepped on the mound and I wasn't aware of the score or the situation, how many outs there were, how many innings there were, what hitter I was facing, what, you know, where he, where he was in the lineup. Like, you're still aware of all those things and we're still teaching our guys how to win a game. I would just say in terms of some of the decisions that we make as a staff, right, right, that's, that's where it's more geared towards development, you know, where we may at the lower levels have a pitcher who we're really trying to develop his changeup. You may have a really good slider. And there may be certain counts or certain situations where it's like, yeah, if he could go to a slider here or throw two sliders in a row and probably punch this guy out. But we know that if he's going to be a successful major league starter, he's going to need to develop his changeup and improve mm -hmm. that pitch. So we're going to force some usage of that, right? So down the road, he can compete better at the major league level, right? Like you're still trying to throw a good changeup and get the guy out, but certain things like that, right? It's like we're, we're trying to win the war. Right. Not the battle. Right. And so that's, I, I hope that answered your question. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just, it does. It feels like there's a balance where you are developing guys and the ultimate goal is to get to the big leagues, but it's always good at some point that they've had success and they know, they know what it feels like to win as a team and maybe even a, a championship at the minor league level. But Jeff, last week I had an opportunity to chat with Adrian Lorenzo. Obviously you work very, very closely with Adrian. And I asked the same question, but I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Um, we so often in the media tout highly ranked prospects, and understandably so, given their skill set, their abilities, and, and we then, I would say, form opinions based off of what we see and hear about them. How hard is it for you personally when a highly ranked prospect never could or can get over the hump and make it to the big leagues? And as a staff, maybe that's not just personal, but... Yeah, you know, I, I would say this, that the way that we look at it, you know, once they become Miami Marlins, right... We treat them all the same mm -hmm. and we treat, we treat them all fairly. Right. And they, we're going to, we're going to treat a, you know, post draft sign the same way that we're going to treat an international sign who signed for $3 million. You know what I mean? They're all Miami Marlins. They're all we're It is our goal as a staff to develop them to the best of their ability, mm -hmm. the best of our ability so they can reach their ceilings and, and turn them into as good a player as they can possibly become, whatever that is for them. And so, you know, I, we, to me, it's like, I, I feel like 
we we're going to do that. I know our staff's going to do that. They know what our standards are. So if a guy doesn't get to, you know, what we thought or the industry thought he should have been, you know, I think we still know that, that we gave it our best effort, you know, is that we, we did everything we could to serve them. You know, of, of course, like we want to turn everybody into a major leaguer. And if, if we're not satisfied, if we don't, you know, like you, you, you do feel like, you know, man, you look back and it's like, what could I have done to help this player a little bit better? Or what could we have done to serve this player a little better? You know, and you, you go through an evaluation process of that always to reflect and say, and, and learn from it. So in the future, you can, you can serve for future players better, you know, who might have, you know, certain similarities, but you know, I, again, I, I would say that it's, it's um, we, we serve all of our players the same. We do everything we can to develop every player to the best of our ability. And, um, you know, I think some of that helps us rest easy at night, knowing that we, we treat everybody the same way and um, try to get them to be the best player they can be. Jeff, last one for me. We're going to let you run. But as we sit here at the end of January, you in the last couple of days and your staff uh, and the entire department have kicked off the prospect, the minor league camp, the portion of the camp where certain individuals have been invited up to Jupiter. And these are guys that are going to be there uh, really throughout the spring, maybe a couple of days off into their minor league spring camps. Can you tell me a little bit about what you guys have going on? Uh, and I guess the reasoning behind those guys being there now in late January and what you're hoping to accomplish. Yeah. So, you know, up until this year, we've, we've always had an instructional league at the end of the year um, after the season, right. in the September, October range. Um, and we've played games against outside competition. I think what we saw and one thing we learned uh, prior to the 2021 season is we had some pitchers like Max Meyer, Zach McCambly, Jake Eater, Kyle Nicholas, who's now a Pittsburgh pirate. You know, they were here in Jupiter early, right. And they were here building up and, um, by the time they got the minor league spring training, they were already built up to five innings and wow. had a lot, they've faced a lot of hitters and they had a lot of things under their belt. And really once the season started, they hit the ground running and they got off to great starts. They stayed healthy, uh, with the exception of Jake, but they, they stayed healthy throughout the year. They, they made all their starts and did a great job. They finished strong. And so I think, you know, that the idea of having our guys gaining momentum, right going into the season. And then when the season starts, they've already got a lot more at bats uh, and they've, you know, hitters have a lot more at bats. Pitchers have faced a lot of more hitters under their belt to where when they start the season, they're starting it in mid season form. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're ready to roll. And so I think that this, this structure and this framework is really going to allow us to get off to a strong start. But I also think that, you know, we understand that it's a long season. We're still in January right now. We're facing hitters that we have a nice, you know, slow build up and progression leading up to the start of the season to where we're not burning our guys out. Right. We're cognizant of that and we're keeping their bodies fresh um, so they can make it through the entire long season. Right. It's, it's very demanding on them physically, mentally. And so that's, that's all things that we're taking into account here. Um, But we kind of decided to push our instructional league from the end of the year you know, after that long season, these guys are tired. They want to go home, and we just felt like we're giving, giving their time at home, let them recover, let them get themselves into a great place physically. And then once the new year hits, these guys are ready to go. Yeah. You know, they're chomping at the bit, and um, we feel like we with the, the focus and energy level that we're getting out of our players, the effort has been uh, has been outstanding. And um, we're really looking forward to, to the rest of this camp, spring training, and the 2022 season. So, Again, just in terms of some of the stuff we're, we're doing here now, we got live BPs going on 
uh, we got the first pitch in six minutes here <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, we're going to progress into some inter squad games and, and things of that nature prior to the start of even minor league camp against outside competition. You're down to about five. I'm going to let you run outstanding. Good stuff, Jeff. I really appreciate the time and I look forward to doing this again soon. Thanks Kyle. Nice to talk to you. Thanks again to Jeff for taking some time to join us. There's probably um, another 10 to 12 minutes of that conversation, similar to what I did with Adrian last week. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to post that for you on the podcast page. You'll have access to it either later tonight or early tomorrow morning. When we come back, Sevy rejoins us. It'll be time for Three Strikes and You're Out, maybe my favorite segment every week, right here on Fox Sports 940 Miami and the iHeartRadio app. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Back here on Around the Horn on Fox Sports 940 AM Miami and the iHeartRadio app tonight. I'm Kyle Seeloff. He is Paul Severino. And before we hit the road, it's time for Three Strikes and You're Out, brought to you by Loop. Baseball cards don't have an offseason. Check out the number one sports card app at Loop. That's L-O-U-P-E, loop.cards, loop.cards. All right, Sevy, here we go. Uh, I'm going to say strike one, strike two, strike three. I'm going to give you the topic. We're going to give our answers. You're going to go first each time, okay? I, I think I can handle that. This is fun. Strike one, the first job you ever had. Uh, in the business or out or just in, in life? In life. In life. I was, uh, I, I worked in general merchandise in, uh, at Staples. So I was a little bit like Dwight Schrute. I worked at Staples. Um, I was, I was doing the paper and the pens and the file folders and all kinds of stuff. I was stocking the shelves at Staples. You know, I see you like the guy in the aisle with a pen. Like somebody comes and listen, like the Bix are good, but if you spend the extra dollar, you go ballpoint, you know, stay away from the gel. That's when it's going to start to smear. Yeah, well, I, I will say this. And I, I only share this story because I believe the statute of limitations uh, has passed. But um, let's just say I was uh, so in the in the mail packing aisle. So you've got like the bubble wrap and stuff. They used to have these little, it was about, you know, the size of a, of an envelope or whatever. And you could, you inflate it and it was the perfect size of a pillow. Oh no. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been to like an aisle one in a staple, but it's all the paper. So if you go up into the rafters, a little spot to take a little snooze, my friend. Unbelievable. Confirm or deny Dixon Ticonderoga still the number one pencil. Oh, there is no question about it. I was just at uh, at a big box store the other day. I bought ninety six of them. There's no, there's no, not even a debate. Uh, the first job I ever had, I was a custodian at my high school. I did summer help, and then when the school year started, when the custodians would call out, I'd be cleaning my teachers' classrooms at night before I went to sports practice. Look at that. Yeah, you're a grinder. Yeah, I try. Just uh, just blue collar. Just a common man. Strike two. Hey, you, you're still picking up everybody's mess. I try. What's the most sensible piece of advice you've ever received? Um, don't say no, I think, is, is what, in, in, in a professional sense. I mean, there's a lot of things that you should say no to, but I'm just saying in a professional sense, don't say no. Um, you know, you're, uh, if, you're, if you're an up-and-comer, college kid, whatever, 
uh, doing an internship somewhere and, and someone, uh, a boss says, hey, can you do me this favor? Can you do me that favor? Even if you've never done it before, I've never pulled tape, I've never edited a clip, I've never uh, run a camp, whatever, don't say no. Just go do it, do it to the best of your ability. And maybe there's got to be a little bit of pretend in there, like you have done it a thousand times. Yeah. Uh, it's a little fake it till you make it sort of thing. Um, so I would say don't say no, because if you uh, do that and do it well, then you're going to be the, the willing participant uh, in an internship, let's say, setting, and, uh, and then more opportunities of what you want to do could potentially follow. I share those same sentiments. The answer I would give in a PG version was my dad's very, very good friend. I went to school with his son, and we were all really good buddies, and he would tell us all the time, shut up, do what you're told, and be happy you get to. And that has stuck with me to this day. And I think it's advice that everybody could take once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Strike three. I like this one. If you could hack one person's Twitter account, who would it be and what would you tweet? Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I would hack The Rock's Twitter and I would tag myself <laughs> and and my myself, my Paul self, not my fake hacked rock self, and um, and and tell like his his eighty billion followers um, that they should uh, that they should follow me and listen to me and everything else because I'm funny and handsome and ha- and could potentially be a body double of the Rock one day. I agree. The direction I will go with this. <laughs> You're not buying that one. No, I am. I think it would really, I would, it would enhance your profile. That's what I'm looking for, really. Okay, the direction I'm going to go with this. Uh, there's a certain star on the Atlanta Braves who um, Marlins fans are not fond of, and Atlanta Braves fans don't really like the Marlins. I would hack that star player's Twitter account and tweet, I can't wait to get to Miami. <laughs> or I can't wait to join the Marlins. <laughs> huh? That would ruffle feathers. Uh, you're talking about Sid Bream, right? Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, <laughs> uh, I like to ruffle feathers. I'm like an internet troll. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that would be the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> Gotta watch out for you. That's why I try to stay on your good side a lot of the time. Oh, that's a good idea because nobody <laughs> on this planet holds a better right. grudge than I do. One little slip up. Really? Oh, yeah. Cut off. Yep. Yeah, I hold the bag. I'm a it's, little bit of the, little bit of the same way, actually. I have a lot of toxic traits. One of them is I hold a grudge forever, <laughs> and I mean forever. I wish bad things upon people that have done mean things to me. Okay, Sevy. On that note, I thank you. This was a <laughs> lot of fun. You, I thank you, you, buddy. Dark soul, you dark soul, you. <laughs> uh, be good. Hit them straight. You too. Get the dog training in order. Happiness, health to the family, and I hope I see you soon here in Jupiter in uh, maybe a month or so. All right, brother. Be well. Appreciate you. All right. Good stuff. That's all the time we've got for you tonight for Ricardo Wanche. Back home at the Fox Sports 940 AM Miami studio. And Paul Severino, I'm Kyle Seeloff saying so long and good night. I'll be back with you next Thursday on your home for Marlins baseball, Fox Sports 940 AM Miami and the iHeartRadio app.